This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Going to do a mailbag episode today, answering all your Twitter questions that I had sent in. Uh, Championship weekend, got some in on Sunday, got some in today on Monday, recording this on uh, MLK Day. We'll either release later later today or first thing tomorrow. Uh, Reminder before we jump into the questions, and again, thank you for sending so many in. We'll go for about a half hour today. Uh, Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, we're almost at like 600 ratings Drop some of those in. Uh, Also available on Spotify and Google Play. Also uh, doing some short-form gambling podcasting uh, with Whistle. So we'll be sharing some promotion for the 300 Seconds podcast. Make sure to drop that a rating and subscribe as well. As I've alluded to a few times and why the release on this podcast has been a little more sporadic than usual, uh, working on a larger project, with our good friend Connor Rogers, that project we should have more detailed information on and we'll release sometime likely in mid-February. We're working through it right now, about halfway done. Really excited about this one and you know, wanted to do something a little different this offseason uh, that's a little bigger in scope. So more details to come as it gets a little closer along with the preview, but it's a larger audio project Uh in collaboration uh, with Connor Rogers. That's as much info as, as I have right now, but, but more to come soon. With that, uh, we're going to jump into everyone's questions and got a nice range here, some on the current playoffs, some on the current team, some on the upcoming offseason, uh, and let's, uh, let's dive into them. So first question is from Brett the Jet at New York. Brett, what defensive position besides cornerback could you see the Jets drafting? I think every position on the defense, probably outside of defensive line, God willing, uh, is realistic for them to take a swing at. I think cornerback and edge are going to be two positions that they are likely to take at some point. Maybe not necessarily in the early rounds with how the board is likely to break, but adding a developmental edge rusher on day two or day three, taking a couple swings at cornerback, particularly for an outside corner, I think makes sense. I I think all of us hope, I know I hope in particular, that this is an offense-dominated draft. That being said, they're not going to use all seven, eight, nine, whatever final number they end up at after trade-ups and trade-downs throughout the weekend. On one side of the football, just hopefully the majority. So cornerback and edge, you know, I think makes sense. I I don't think you're going to see them draft a safety. I don't think you're going to see them draft an interior defensive lineman. Uh, I I don't think you're going to see them draft an inside linebacker. Uh, edge and corner would really be the focus areas uh, and probably not even slot corner because I would assume that we'll see Brian pull back in some capacity, uh, maybe with a bigger focus on outside corner. But this is a year that's really begging for the Jets to go you know, above and beyond in focusing on the offensive side of the football. Uh, and they just they have to. It's just been way, way overdue. And we, we have the same conversation every January, it feels like. And The Jets were fine on defense last year. The Jets were good enough on defense to be a playoff team. They were nowhere near good enough on offense, ultimately, to be a playoff team. And you could get by with what they have right now with a couple tweaks on defense. Offense is where the heavy lifting really needs to happen because when you look at what they've done since they made the Sam Darnold draft pick and what their other draft picks have been, 
it's been far too heavily skewed on defense. You know, you take Darnold in round one that year. Your next pick is Nathan Shepard, who showed some signs this year, but is a rotational defensive lineman. Uh, the rest of your picks throughout that draft, uh, you go Chris Herndon, who was really the nice thing to highlight offensively. Uh, Trenton Cannon, who's probably not going to be a, a player, a rostered player for this team in 2020. Uh, and beyond that, uh, they really had a defensive concentration. And we saw that also last year uh, when they were making their draft picks. They did take Chuma Doga round three, but they also took Ja'Kai Polite uh, later in the draft the year before they took Foley Fayukasi so another interior defensive lineman uh they took Blasant Austin uh late last year also Trevin Wesco and Blake Cashman so two more defenders and then a blocking tight end who may not make the roster in 2020 so only one offensive lineman drafted uh since they took Sam Darnold and he was a mid-rounder who's probably not projected to be a starter you take a blocking tight end who's probably not going to make the team you take a, a special team or running back who's probably not going to make the team and then your biggest spend was on an inside linebacker, uh, and you used another draft pick on an inside linebacker. So a lot of resources concentrated to interior defensive linemen and inside linebacker when you probably should be concentrating them on offense to support your young quarterback who's now heading into year three of his rookie deal. Uh, next question from D. Uh, Jets, Y-A-N-X. If they don't resign Robbie, what free agent receiver would you like to see the Jets target, assuming Cooper goes back to Dallas? I think Jet fans, and I think this question outlines it well, should be operating under the assumption that Robbie Anderson's going to hit free agency. He's going to get a big offer that the Jets are unlikely to match. That's just the rumblings that, that we're hearing. Now, that could be wrong. They could decide to go above and beyond and keep him. It's not out of the question. I just think the market's going to be really competitive for him because I do think Amari Cooper is going back to Dallas. I don't even think he's actually going to hit free agency. Maybe he does, and if he does, you get in a bidding war with a bunch of other teams for him. But I think, you know... Cooper will not be out there. I think Anderson is probably going to go elsewhere at this stage of his career. And once you got, you know, you get past those guys, it's not an overly deep market. I'd actually be interested to see if the Jets considered the trade market potentially uh, to try to boost their receiver group. You know, I would assume that Gase is going to find a way to get Demarius Thomas back in some capacity. It's hard to count on anything from Quincy Inouye. If he plays, that's a pleasant surprise, but you can't bank on that. Uh, you know, Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios should be back, but they're really deaf, deaf guys and special teamers. Uh, could you go get a Rashard Higgins, a guy I've mentioned a few times from Cleveland, had a nice, you know, wrap apart with Baker Mayfield his rookie year, ended up in the doghouse last year in what was a messy situation in Cleveland. He could be someone worth taking a swing on. Uh, a guy like Devin Funches is going to hit the market again after, you know, kind of a lost year with the Colts. There's not going to be any massive names that really pop out. I think you're going to have to address this in the draft along with some mid-level free agents if Robbie walks. And you definitely need to round out the roster better uh, if he does walk. You do not want to go into the year with Jamison Crowder, Vincent Smith, and Demarius Thomas as your top three receivers. you got to do better for Sam Donald than that, particularly if Le'Veon Bell is not uh, going to end up back. Next question from Fuego Jets Takes. How would you like to see the first four picks allocated? Of course, we want to see how the board breaks, right? But in a vacuum, I want at least three of those four picks to be offense and really two of them to be offensive linemen. It feels like the rhythm to kind of expect is going to be O-line or receiver uh, in the first round. And if it doesn't, whatever position they don't take will be a focus on day two when they have two third round picks and a second rounder. 
I think you have to leave those first three rounds with three players who play either offensive line or receiver. And for the fourth, you know, we'll see how everything breaks. But I would not even be objecting to the Jets taking two O-linemen or even three O-linemen with those first four picks. Go over the top. Go above and beyond. You have to course correct for a decade plus of over-concentrating on defense. So oversaturate your picks on offensive line and receiver. You're not going to draft anyone at tight end with Herndon and Griffin and Wesco on the roster. You're probably not going to draft a running back uh, in the first two rounds with how this class is ultimately coming together. They will need to add a running back at some point, but I don't think it's going to be one of their first you know, two or three picks. Uh, it's going to be offensive line and receiver. And you got to concentrate on building those positions out, particularly offensive line, to make Sam Darnold's life a little bit easier. Um, next question from Michael Parsons. Do you think Joe Douglas will have a successful offseason? And for you, what does a successful offseason look like? It's a good question. I don't know. I think Joe Douglas had an impressive resume. Uh, I think he's done a good job fighting to get the team to invest in his staff around him, getting Rex Hogan back after he spent some time with Chris Ballard, uh, getting Phil Savage, getting Chad Alexander. He seemed to have get his guys in the front office, which is a good sign. Now, there's a difference between being the number two or number three guy in Philly and then being an actual GM and also dealing with everything that comes with that. You have to deal with a a head coach right now who is, you know, 30 and 34 in his career uh, and is not overly popular uh, with the fan base and probably holds an equal amount, if not more power than you throughout the organization with how everything shook out. Uh, I think Douglas is, if you're going to be optimistic about the Jets going forward, it's built around two beliefs, that Joe Douglas ultimately was the right hire for general manager and can supersede any issues that Adam Gase presents or and or that Sam Darnold's going to make a massive leap and become one of the five to ten best quarterbacks in the NFL. Because if he does that, they just could overcome some of the issues that they're inevitably going to have next year. So what does a successful offseason look like? It's a very heavily offensive, concentrated offseason. And the, the sort of conventional wisdom has been Joe Douglas is an offensive line guy. He cares about the trenches. That's where he's going to focus. The Jets have more than enough on the trend, in the trenches on the defensive side of the football between Quentin Williams, Henry Anderson, Foley Fayoukasi, Nathan Shepard, Steve McClendon, Kyle Phillips. It's enough. You have enough to win right there. On the offensive line is where they need to do the most drastic change. And I think a successful offseason looks a lot like what Buffalo did last offseason. That is a good template to follow. They basically flipped over all five starters on their offensive line. They signed top-tier free agents, a guy like Mitch Morse. They signed mid-level free agents, a guy like Quentin Spain. Uh, They addressed it early in the draft. They drafted Cody Ford. Uh, They added deaf guys, Spencer Long, who didn't ultimately have to play for them, and Ty Nishiki from the uh, Falcons. So they took like six or seven different swings and rebuilt that entire unit. And they went over the top. I think they used two draft picks on an offensive lineman. They signed three or four free agents. uh, And they really turned that whole unit over. And then on top of that, you know, they go out, they draft a tight end in the middle rounds. They sign another tight end in Tyler Croft. So they added Dawson Knox and Tyler Croft. They they signed two more free agent receivers in John Brown and Cole Beasley. Um, they also bring in Frank Gore, you know, debatable how valuable he was. And then they draft Devin Singletary in the middle round. So 
a lot of offensive support for Josh Allen, right? You draft a running back, you draft a tight end, you sign two receivers, you sign a running back, you sign a tight end. Uh, you added six new offensive linemen to the mix, and you really you turn that whole offense over, and they build a system conducive to Josh Allen's strengths. Now, Josh Allen's a very limited quarterback in a lot of ways. We don't have to get into all that on this podcast, but they played to his strengths got him to maximize his output and, you know, easily won double-digit games to the point where they could rest starters in Week 17 against the Jets and really should have won in the wild card round. Now, were they going to win in Kansas City? Probably not. But they positioned themselves well to be competitive going forward. And I think that template of how to rebuild an offense is something that hopefully Joe Douglas is going to learn from. All right. Simply Safe Home Security is like getting commercial-grade enterprise-level security, but for your own home. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard the inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set up your system yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe's experts can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafe.com/overtime today to get free shipping on your order, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/overtime to save on home security today. Simplysafe.com/overtime. All right, back to your questions here uh, from not your father's account at Forget George Chuck. Why should we have faith in Joe Douglas? Break down Philly position by position, and they seem to have one of the worst rosters in football and get by a magical QB play and great coaching. A year with Chicago and a decade plus as a scout. I felt excited at first, but now, meh. Look, I think it's hard to compare. First off, I disagree with the characterization of Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia coming into the year had one of the better, more well-rounded rosters in the NFL. I think they were decimated by injuries, probably to the level that the Jets were, except they were able to overcome it better than the Jets were, uh, partially thanks to better coaching and partially thanks to being in a much worse division uh, than the Jets were. Uh, But this is a team that has a good amount of talent, particularly on the offensive and defensive line. Had a decent collection of weapons at receiver, but everyone got hurt. Alshon Jeffrey can't stay healthy anymore. Deshaun Jackson can't stay healthy anymore. Uh, Some of their receivers that they drafted really didn't hit. Uh, But again, everything that you look at with Philly, like, Yes, Joe Douglas was a key person there. It's different when you're the number one guy and you're making the call and you're dealing with a different head coach and Adam Gase than you were with Doug Peterson. So, you know, we tried to do this back in the day with McCagnan and Idzik. Ultimately, it really didn't matter all that much what they did with Houston and Seattle, respectively. We really won't start evaluating Joe Douglas until we see what he does this offseason and how he navigates the current infrastructure for the Jets. You know, he made some moves last offseason. It's hard to really grade them because he came in so late and was trying to make some last second tweaks. So I don't overly hold the Ryan Khalil signing against him. Uh, Of course, that didn't work. They did some other things that did work, going to get Ryan Griffin, uh, getting Alex Lewis for a draft pick. You know, it was a little hit or miss, Uh, but we'll really start getting a feel for how he works this year. And there's no guarantee he's going to be great. There's no guarantee he's going to be terrible. Uh, Let's just hope he's better than McCadden and Idzik to start and the Jets start progressing in the right direction from a roster depth perspective. But yeah, we, we don't really know. You know, he's a first-time GM. It's very different. It's like when an offensive coordinator moves to being 
uh, a head coach. You know, there's differences in being the number two guy and being the number one guy. So let's see how uh, how it plays out, and we'll find out right away when we see how the Jets address their internal free agents. Uh, dipping into some of the questions I got on Sunday, some of these I answered on Twitter, and I'm going to dive into in a little more detail. Some of them I didn't get a chance to. Common question, I got this one today from Mike Mora. One, how open do you think Gase is to bringing in another offensive mind to help play call develop Darnold, someone other than a flag holder? I don't think that open. Now, I could be wrong, but the general feeling and perception is that Gase wants his guys on offense. He does not want someone who's actively challenging his system and challenging the way he thinks about it, which is why him and Dowell Loggins basically split being the head coach, the quarterback coach, and the offensive coordinator. Uh, He brought over the rest of his guys from Miami pretty much on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't know why a guy, you know, it's not going to happen now because he's with Georgia, why a guy like a Todd Munkin or some of these other guys who Jet fans have thrown out, why would they want to come here uh, if they're not going to really get to be an offensive coordinator, they're not going to get to have a lot of input. It would be great if the Jets could go find a better quarterback coach or better offensive coordinator to really push Gase and push Darnold. I just don't anticipate it happening. We haven't heard anything about any major state changes to the Jets staff yet. You would think if you go 32nd on offense, you would make some changes. You know, we know Gase is coming back, but maybe you fire the offensive coordinator. Maybe you fire the offensive line coach. Maybe they will fire the offensive line coach. If there's a move that's going to happen, I think that will probably be it. But we haven't seen anything from Gase's history to indicate that he's going to shake things up substantially. I would consider it a good sign if they said, you know what, we're getting rid of Pollock, we're getting rid of Loggins, we're getting rid of a couple other assistants, and we're going to really try to rebuild this staff and bring in some outside voices who haven't worked with Adam before to push him a little bit. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be a good sign if it did. Um, So we'll see. Next question. The three offensive tackles are gone. So is the corner. If available, would you take Simmons based on his versatility, wide receiver or edge from Iowa or trade down? Uh, In this situation, I'm looking wide receiver. I'm trading down. I think Simmons is a great player, versatile player. I don't care. I don't want the Jets going defense in the first round. Keep trading down. Compile your early picks on offensive line and at receiver and things that are going to help Sam Darnold. They have what they need on defense. They had the 10th overall defense or 9th overall defense in DVOA starting James Burgess and Neville Hewitt at inside linebacker. And yeah, they'll be better with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson back, but are they going to be $100 million better? Probably not. You know, maybe they move from nine in DVOA to five. Like they could get by with the low cost players they have at inside linebacker. They could get by with what they have at safety. They could use another corner or edge, but again, they could compete. You can make the playoffs with the ninth or 10th DVO defense. DVOA defense. You cannot make it with the 32nd offense. You really can't even make it with the 18th or 19th offense. You got to get up in the top 15 if you want to be a seriously competitive team. So you got to take your swings on offense. And I hope that's how it ultimately breaks out for the Jets. Uh, next question from Danny Bags Do you think one offseason and one draft could fix a team's offensive line? And if the answer is yes, do you trust the Jets to do so? We, we talked through the Buffalo model already earlier on this podcast. I do think it is doable. I think it's going to be an uphill battle because every Jet fan is logically looking at the available free agents and saying, "We're just let's go out and let's sign Brandon Scherf, let's sign Anthony Costanzo, let's sign Joe Thune." The question, the reality is, is that every team is going to be after those guys. Everyone wants offensive linemen, including the teams who currently have them. So you look at those three guys in a vacuum, 
One of them probably doesn't even hit free agency. That leaves two more out there where you're going to be competing with a ton of other teams for them. And there's rumors that Costanzo could retire. Uh, you know, Scherf, for as great as a player he is, he's missed 13 games over the past two years. So there's some risk there involved as well. Um, it's hard to fix things in free agency. That doesn't mean the Jets shouldn't be aggressive and shouldn't try. But the key is really going to be nailing these draft picks. And if the Jets could draft an offensive lineman in the first round who could come in and start and be competent, that's going to go a long way in the short and long term to fixing things. And if on top of that, we really make a difference is can you find a guy on day two who can start and be a long-term contributor here? If you do that and you find two starters and one draft on the offensive line, the Jets are going to be in much better shape going forward because you get two or two starters there. Maybe you get one in free agency. You bring back Lewis and Beecham and you have a pretty competent unit. It's not going to be a top tier unit, but it should be good enough for you to compete with. So the draft is probably more important than free agency because I would not bet on the Jets landing, you know, Scherf or Thune. I think they should try, but they're not the favorites to go out and get them. There's teams with more money. There's teams who have, you know, equal or a bigger need. And the Patriots and Redskins are going to be trying to keep them respectively. Um, next question from Spotty Blackman. Not the sexiest question, but what do you think of the likelihood of us losing Boyer if we have another season where the special teams is arguably the best unit we field weekly? Could be a trend to watch. Special team coaches getting shots to lead. I've always been a big fan of special teams coaches as prospective head coaches, and I don't know enough about you know Joe Judge to have a strong opinion either way, but I think the thought is with special teams coaches, they're guys who deal with offensive and defensive players, and they they could delegate on both sides of the football and deal with those coaches and deal with those players rather than getting an offensive or defensive coordinator who's really siloed just to one side of the football. You know, Rex Ryan and Todd Bowles, they cared about the defense. They didn't really care about the offense. Adam Gase cares about the offense, doesn't care at all about the defense. He's openly admitted that. Ideally, you want someone who could sort of be a CEO type and delegate and have oversight over both sides and every side of the team because that's what the head coach's job is. That's why I think a guy like Matt Rule will probably be pretty successful at the next level. He showed the ability to build a program and and operate in that CEO role. Now we'll see if it translates to the NFL, uh, but that's kind of what you want. So with Boyer, Jets have been great on special teams the past two years. Uh, I'm surprised in some ways that he hasn't gotten a little more interest, but the Jets have been bad and that kind of plays into it. You know, Joe Judge is easier to hire because he comes from New England and he's on Bill Belichick's staff and New England's competitive every year for the Jets. It's a hard sell for a fan base to say, we're going to hire the special teams coordinator off the 7 to 9 and 4 and 12 team, even if their special teams have been great. So if the Jets are great on special teams again next year and Boyer uh, and the Jets are better, they're a, you know, a 9 and 7, 10 and 6 win team, yeah, I could see him maybe getting some chatter. Uh, it's not out of the question with how good he's been. Uh, it's something to definitely keep an eye on uh, because it was really impressive that he was able to deal with the turnover at kicker and punter and returner uh, and still make it work for the Jets on special teams. I want to tell you guys that today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers you already know like Jake Glazer, Mike Sando, front of the pod, Mike Lombardi, The Athletic is setting a new standard for sports news. No ads, no pop-ups, or clickbait, just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights you won't find anywhere else. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, and more. Just download the Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and the Athletic will begin surfacing all the latest on the players and storylines that matter to you. Ready to get started? 
for 40% off a yearly subscription to theathletic.com. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime. That's athletic.com slash overtime. Uh, must include uh, that URL when you go for the sign-up. Get your 40% off at athletic.com slash overtime. All right, let's dive into a few more questions here uh, before we wrap. Next question from Joshua at Tanny my and e how we'll be able to assess joe douglas's success in the draft if those players are wearing gay shackles gay shackles is a funny funny term i like it i may steal it and start using it on twitter uh it's hard to say look gase isn't going to be the jets coach forever i don't think it'll probably be for one or two more years and we have to see how certain players are used i mean the jets you know with mccadman's first draft class it's kind of hard to assess uh, I mean, they played their rookies. Now, a lot of them were on defense and had to play because of injuries, and Greg Williams runs the defense, which is why we saw a lot of Quentin Williams, Blake Clashman, Blake Cashman, and Blasson Austin. You know, for the offensive guys that they took, there didn't seem to be a hesitancy, hesitancy to play Adoga. He just struggled and, you know, couldn't stay healthy. And with Wesco, you know, just was kind of like a non-factor, but it wasn't like he was, like, drilled to the bench or he wasn't necessarily begging for more playing time either. So... I'm going to have to assume that Gase is going to be involved in having some input on these picks, particularly on the offensive side of the football, uh, and that the Jets are going to be in a situation where they're going to need to play their rookies. And there's probably going to be a situation where with some of these guys, yeah, we'll be wondering, will they look better in a different offensive system when Gase moves on? And what will be really interesting to add to you know what we watch next year is if Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson ultimately are gone, which I think is fair to expect, how do they play in their new situations? So does Robbie Anderson go out and catch nine touchdowns and 1,100 yards in a different offense? Does Le'Veon Bell show that he could still be in a 1,000-yard back with over four yards per carry and you know get involved in the pass game more? That, that's going to be interesting to see if both of those guys move on, and along with monitoring the uh, rookie class. Next question from NY4 at DCER underscore USA10. Why would any player want to come play for Gase? My guess is we'll have to wildly overpay for guys. I mean, the Jets having to overpay for guys, you know, predates Gase. They had to overpay for C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell last year. They're paying a tax on being bad for as long as they've been. Location doesn't really matter as much anymore. You could get endorsements anywhere with how digital media is set up now. So the draw being like, oh, you got to come play in a big market doesn't really hold, especially because the Jets don't have a great you know, home field experience. They play in East Rutherford. They share a stadium. They've been bad, so the home environment really isn't great, you know, but when you're bad and you miss the playoffs for nine years in a row, you do have to overpay to get a guy like C.J. Mosley. I think they offered him like $10 million more than the Ravens did. I think with Bell, they offered like 6 or $7 million more than the next closest team, which I think was the 49ers. With Gase, I think, yeah, there's going to probably be some of that. He does not have a good reputation throughout the league. You can see it from his former players and some other people, you know, kind of chattering around. That did not change this year. They're... You know, you watch what some of the guys on the Jets team tweet or what tweets that they like. You know what happened with Kelechi Osemele. We know what happened with Quincy Inua and Luke Falk. I think it will be a, you know, a hurdle, but money talks, and if the Jets go above and beyond with certain players, I think they'll be able to land them. I think Gase also has certain guys that he's worked well with in the past, and he's shown an affinity for them. So it's not an exaggeration to say Jet fans should keep an eye on guys like 
Alshon, Je- Alshon Jeffrey or Emmanuel Sanders or other guys who have played with Gase before, I could see them trying to go after some of those pieces so he could get, quote unquote, his guys. Now, is that good for the team long term? Probably not, but that's just the reality of what ultimately is going to happen. All right, let's scroll here. Um, from the Ambitious Podcast, thoughts on Joe Brady or Eric Bieniemy as head coaching candidates? Well, I think with Brady, you're going to want to see you know a year or two in the NFL to see how he adapts, but would be an interesting forward-thinking hire if the Panthers are good this year and take a big step forward on offense with Bieniemy. Pretty silly that he has not gotten an opportunity yet. I think him and uh, Salil from the Niners are guys that teams would have been wise to kind of wait a couple more weeks and, you know, get them real interviews and really consider hiring them. You know, I think with Biennemi, it's hard to think that he hasn't absorbed a lot from Andy Reid and how Andy Reid manages a team. I do think he will get an opportunity at some point and maybe next offseason, and he could absolutely end up being a guy that the Jets look at. And maybe it's for the Jets' benefit, ultimately, that Biennemi and Salil did not get head coaching jobs this year because they'll be out and available next offseason if things don't go well with Gase. And, you know, Brady might end up being another guy that they consider, although you have to wonder what rule is going to tell him about his experience of interviewing with the Jets. But definitely something to watch, uh, you know, going forward. Next question. Why would Johnson or Douglas let a below-average coach run a talented player like Bell out of here? There's no way Douglas can get good value back for Bell. So decent amount of Twitter chatter about the Bell situation as there were some rumors from also a friend of the pod, Tony Pauline, about both sides sort of being motivated to find a way to get him out of town. And there has been rumors and rumblings since before that Bell was even signed that Gase did not want him. And we heard those on the record, heard those off the record, which is why I was kind of surprised that they ultimately did sign him. And it was a signing I was in favor of. I uh, wasn't shy about saying that, but I was surprised they ultimately did it. And I think it was something that you know was really driven by ownership and McCagnin more so than Gase, who I don't think was ever really a fan of the transaction. And we kind of saw that play out throughout the year and how he talks about him and how he uses him uh, on offense. And I think the problem with moving on from Bell is you can make a case that look like a good case that spending that much money on a running back going forward is not worth it. The problem is, is that the Jets are paying Bell next year no matter what. So if you're going to ship him off for a mid-round pick, which is basically what you're going to get back for him because the team is going to have to take on a chunk of his salary, not all of it, maybe half or something, uh, you're adding another hole when you already have a ton of holes at receiver, offensive line, edge, cornerback. You know, Ty Montgomery's on under contract, Bilal Powell's on under contract, so you really have no credible running backs under contract. You know, with Bell, for as disappointing as his rushing production was, was still effective when the Jets threw him the football. I just didn't throw him the football enough. He was the top back, ranked back in the NFL, I think, in pass protection, so you lose that for Darnold. And if Anderson leaves, now you're basically getting rid of his top two offensive weapons, so no continuity for him then. And you're putting a, what, a rookie running back back there with him in pass protection when you're playing San Francisco, Seattle, and Kansas City next year. I just feel like you have to pay Bell next year, keep him here, find a better way to use him, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. You know, and back to your original question, you know, for Johnson, Gase is Johnson's guy. That was his first big decision and big hire. He's going to defer to him and defer to him, particularly on offensive players. And with Douglas, 
you know, he got here after Gase, and I think he's going to try to find a way to work with him and make his offensive coach happy. And it's going to probably be a bad return. Maybe it doesn't happen. Look, maybe this is all just smoke and Bell's back next year, or maybe the Jets get better return than we expect. They get a second round or something. I'm guessing they see they get a conditional mid-rounder back, and he's not here. And I think ultimately, while you can make a case on the value of continuing to pay him, I think they're going to be paying him regardless next year. And I just... Who is filling these 130 catches that Bell and Anderson had while you're trying to rebuild your offensive line? It's tough. It's going to be tough for Darnold. Um, We'll do one more before we wrap. Question from GOT Fanboy. What was your take on Parasite? I thought it was a top five movie the past couple years. I need to see Parasite and 1917 in theater like this week. It's on the to-do list. I got to do it. I got to catch up with my premium cable and movies. I'm falling behind a little bit. Did just catch the premiere of The New Pope and Curb. Great as always. I got to expand beyond my HBO, but excited to see Parasite. I've heard some really good things about it. One more football question. Let's see if we could find them. We'll do two more, actually. This one from Josh Eggert. Why is that that Todd Munkin, who the majority of Jets Twitter swooned over heavily, did not stay in the NFL nor receive lots of interviews? I think he got banished to Cleveland behind Freddie Kitchens, and last year was such a disaster. I think he wanted to go back to a place like Georgia, which will be a big stage, to rebuild that reputation a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was back in the NFL next year. I think he made the wrong choice last year in going to Cleveland. Didn't get to call plays despite being the offensive coordinator. Really didn't sound like he had any input on the game plans. Uh, Now gets to go to a really high-profile team. Hopefully build that rep back up, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him as an offensive coordinator and then eventually a head coach uh, at some point in the NFL. Last question from Don B. Ant Bo going ham. I think Twitter is wildly overrating what Robbie is going to get paid. Any chance he gets eight to ten million per? I think it's going to be way more than that. I just think people overspend in free agency. They particularly overspend for vertical receivers because it's a rare skill set and it's a weak overall market. I'd be shocked if he got less than thirteen million a year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he got like fourteen or fifteen million a year. Teams are going to look at him and say he's been in a terrible situation. He still gets open deep. He still makes big plays down the field. Throw out some of his production because he played every year. He's played with a terrible quarterback for three or four games, right? He had three games with a beatdown Josh McCown in 2018. He had three or four games with Bryce Petty in 2017. He had three games with Luke Falk this year. They're going to say if he had a healthy quarterback and he, he, if he had our quarterback, whoever that is, this is an 1,100-yard guy, and they're going to pay based on going-ahead production, not previous production. So the Jets want him back. I think you got to look at $14, 15000000 million per year. I don't know if they're going to do that, but he will get that somewhere. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate all your questions on Twitter sent over to at Caparoso. Stay tuned on turnonthejets.com. Stay tuned on the Twitter feed for more updates on our upcoming podcast. There'll be a few more dropped in throughout this feed, previewing what we'll have coming in February. And stay tuned for more information on that. We'll talk to everybody next week.